Hey everyone, thanks for dropping by. And if you're new, I'm your host, Jonah. Welcome to the Blue Collar Enlightenment Show, where we learn new things every episode through conversations with guests from all around the globe. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with the journey. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back for round two, John. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Good. My pleasure, Jonah. Yeah, it was like uh, not even a year ago. No. What's new? Well, what's new is my new book, Checkout Time. Wait, hold that back up because if you go back to the last episode, he didn't show us. So there it is. I with projects I didn't show you Project Suicide or I didn't show you Checkout Time. Checkout Time. Okay, I well, think that was the one that you had yeah, that coming out. A, that one didn't have a cover yet. Yeah. Which I think the cover came out pretty well. It's a I'll back up a little bit here. Kind of a shadowy figure with fire behind them, which uh, is kind of my view of Conrad Hilton, not the famous hotel guy. The the uh, extortion bomber in my book. Uh, the last time we had talked, you had talked just a little bit about what the book was. And uh, could you refresh what that is? Sure. Basically, it's a story about an extortion bomber that goes by the pseudonym Conrad Hilton. And he's looking to make a killing from a group of hotel owners. And he's not above killing to make a point. A beautiful FBI agent and a handsome government researcher pursue him until Conrad turns the tables and the hunters become the hunted. That's crazy. And so do you want to kind of keep keep a little bit of the book to yourself or do you want to... Uh, well, I can talk, talk about, about the book, certainly. I'm not going to give away the, the, uh, the ins and outs <laughs> of the plot. That would be people wouldn't want to buy it. But uh, certainly we can talk about it a little bit. Uh, I came up with the idea, well, it got to be about 10 or 15 years ago. I keep a kind of a list of ideas when I come up with them and jot them down. And uh, I was in a hotel on business. And uh, I was on the fourth floor, which was the top floor in this hotel. And I looked at the ceiling just while I was lying down. And there was a trap door. Small trap door it was kind of a suspended ceiling, like a metal suspended ceiling. And I thought, huh, you could put something up there. Mm-hmm. So kind of a what if. Well, what what could you put up there? And the, what you decide to put up there is going to change the kind of book you get. Uh, you could put uh, mob money up there. In which case, some person it falls and they find it. And now they're being chased by the mob. You have a kind of a crime thriller. Uh, you could put uh, microfilm or government secrets up there. Then you got a uh, spy thriller. Ooh. My first go-to was you put a bomb up there. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that I say my first go-to is growing up, and even to this day a little bit, I was a bit, a bit of a pyromaniac. You know, I like things that blew up. I like fireworks. I made my own gunpowder, uh, you know. So, I to this day I like firing up a fire in the old uh, uh, fireplace uh, uh, stove insert when on a cold day. And uh, so I said, okay, you put a bomb up there. Now, got to be realistic. Could you bring in a bomb into a hotel? You can't take a bomb on a plane. And I said, yeah, nobody searches your baggage. There's no bomb sniffing dogs. There's no TSA. No, you could, you could bring in a backpack nuke and all they would do is give you your car, your, your key card and say the elevators are over there. So then I said, okay, well, what do we do with this? Why is this guy bombing the hotels? And there was a movie in the 1970s that I liked that most people haven't seen it is a thriller called uh, Roller Coaster. And it's got a great cast. It's got George Siegel and Richard Widmark and Henry Fonda and, and Susan Strasberg, Timothy Bottom. Great, great cast. 
the story is basically a extortion bomber who's extorting not hotels, but amusement park owners. Hmm. He's going to blow up their rides if they don't give him money and, of course, kill people in the process. So I kind of tapped into that plot and said, okay, that's what he'll be. He'll be an extortion bomber. And we went from there. And you said you came up with it, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, probably the initial idea I came up with about 15 years ago. So what, that's right around 2001 and all that stuff? Yeah. So it, that was it, kind it, of fresh in the mind, too. Yeah, that's what it was probably about 2004, 2005. So it was just a few years after 9-11. It's probably a good thing that uh, you kind of held on to that idea until now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I thought I thought it was funny doing research for the book. You know, I'm looking up things online: how to make napalm at home, how to make plastic explosives, how how to make thermite, which is a very combustible, highly intensely burning uh, thing they used to use in incendiary bombs. And I'm wondering to myself, I wonder if anybody in the FBI is checking this out at any point while I'm while I'm typing in these search terms <laughs> and going to come talk to me at some point. You're probably right. But no one has. So, <laughs> well, that you know of. Right. That I know of. <laughs> they're, they're they're watching us having this conversation as we speak anyway. So, well, actually, though, I did. Uh, uh, I took the research for this a little farther. Uh, the I knew the action was going to take place uh, between southern Ohio and eastern Tennessee. I driven that I-75 corridor multiple times because I live in eastern Tennessee and also have a place in southern Ohio. So we, we, we go that path quite a bit. And uh, I knew that there was going to be time spent in the FBI field offices of Cincinnati and Knoxville. Those are the two field offices. FBI has a series of field offices. Uh, some states have two. Some states have none. Uh, there's like 20 or 25 of them spread around the country, maybe 30. And these are kind of the centers where the FBI operates out of. And everybody reports back to Washington. And they also have these little things called resident agencies, which are dotted around. There's more of those than there are field offices. But I knew these two field offices were going to be involved. So I said, well, I could, I mean, we all think we know what an FBI uh, office looks like. We've seen Silence of the Lambs. We've watched TV shows. Uh, I could have faked it. But I thought, you know, it might be nice to actually see inside, look behind the curtain, see what they really do look like kind of use that research to add a little flavor to the writing. So I contacted the Knoxville and the Cincinnati field offices, uh, sent emails to their PR people. And the one in Cincinnati said, no, you can't have a tour because our special agent in charge, and they're all special agents, but the guys that run the field office are called the special agent in charge. They said no, and they decide. So I checked with the Knoxville field office and they said, sure, when do you want to do it? So I set up a one hour tour where a very nice PR lady took me through all four floors, met the special agent in charge, a nice, uh, very pleasant woman, and met the armorer, saw where the prisoners are brought in for interrogation, saw the, uh, the big uh, banks of computerized uh, systems where they take phone calls and things like that. So it's a pretty interesting uh, tour, and I use that in the book. So some, if, you, if you see stuff in there that uh, you never thought of at the FBI, for example, when you come in uh, the door of the actual field office, you, you first go to a gate, and they give you your credentials and buzz you in. Then you walk down a path outside to the front door of the field office, and as you walk in, the entire floor is polished marble with the FBI seal laid into it. That's and the awesome. walls are polished wood. And along one side of the walls, there's the wall of uh, uh, heroes where all the FBI agents who have died over the years are displayed. That was impressive. That was probably the thing that impressed me most 
because it spoke of power. You know, it spoke of, uh, it's like with the old, uh, if you ever go to Williamsburg, Virginia and go in the governor's palace and it's the entire walls and ceilings are lined with firearms. It speaks of power. And that's mm-hmm. what I thought of when I walked in the FBI. And speaking of, uh, you know, that wall of honor, uh, yesterday was Memorial Day. How was your Memorial Day? Oh, it was good. I actually spent it alone with my dog. My wife is uh, at our place in Dayton uh, doing some housekeeping. So uh, getting some flooring put in. So she's had to be there all last week and all this week. So didn't really get to spend time with her. But I ate Chinese food and <laughs> uh, watched movies with my dog, Webster. How about you? Oh, so I got this this grill. It's one of those pellet grills. Yeah, 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 okay. And I'm probably going to piss some fans off, you know, having the traditional smoker. But I tried to smoke a pork butt on it, and I think the quality of the meat had a had something to do with it, but I'm going to blame my bad grilling skill. Well, and it was the first point. time I used the thing. Yeah, that's it's it's it, there's a learning curve. I went uh, uh, when we when we moved from full time in uh, Dayton to uh, Eastern Tennessee. I went from a gas grill to a uh, just a charcoal grill, and it took me a while to learn how to cook stuff and not make everything just a look like a charcoal briquette. <laughs> you know, <laughs> see charcoal, I'm great at, right? And then regular smokers, like those small ones that you just buy at the store. Yeah. And I'm not I'm I'm not financially sound enough to get a nice big size smoker. And that's what I grew up with is my stepdad. He had the biggest he had the smoker the size of a truck. Yeah, yeah. Because but it was like fifty five gallon drum smokers kind of thing. I was bigger than that, man. Oh, wow. We had a concession trailer, and we drove around, and we smoked turkey legs and pork shoulder, and we sold stuff like that. And so that's what I grew up on is learning how to smoke on that because we even smoked our personal meat on it. Right. I I keep trying, kept trying on those little ones that you have. I can't do it. You can't get it just right. Well, it's it's probably – you're probably never going to get it as good as a big smoke. No. But – over time, you'll you'll get better with it. Yeah, and I figured, you know, might as well try something. You know, it was the same price as one of those good smokers, and so I got what I wanted, and so I'll try again. Probably with a better uh, choice of where I got the meat. You know, you don't yeah, want a dog probably, on probably the, uh, the biggie. Yeah, I mean, when you're just passing by a nice little – little pork it was just a three and a half pound pork shoulder yeah you know we won't name drop but it has blue and starts with w that's not where you want to buy your meats from no it's meat or produce (laughs) probably not dog food that's good dog food that's fine all your little consumables that's great you know dinky stuff yeah Food, I'll go with the box food and like the the dry stuff. Yeah. But the, all the other stuff. We'll go in our town was we have a research. We'll go to research for all that stuff. Spend the extra little bit for that. Especially when it comes to meat. Yeah. Their meat is a lot better. <laughs> yeah. So Back to your book, now that you have it out and, and being such a long process of actually getting to this point, how does it feel? What's the what's the feeling you have of it? it well, it feels good. This is, I, I tell people, uh, I'm going to preface this by saying, no, no fiction writing is easy. It's a labor of love, but it's a lot of work. But that, having said that, this probably was the easiest writing I've done in quite a while because for some reason, things just clicked. The plot worked its way out, revealed itself to me. I could hear the characters in my head. I know what they wanted to say. I, 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 they, came, they came to me pretty quickly. So in that respect, it was a lot of fun for me to write. I probably wrote the first draft in about four and a half months. Uh, which is fairly fast. I mean, it often takes close to a year. 
So have you ever had your wife videotape you while you're in that zone? No. Uh, she she reads my books because she's a, a medical editor. So mm. uh, she's not a fiction editor, but she's very good at grammar, punctuation, sentence structure, things like that. So she always reads it first before it goes to a fiction editor. Uh, you know, probably about the sixth draft, she, she gets it. Um, never videotape me. Uh, some of the things I do when I'm uh, revising, for example, is I will read it aloud rather than just, you know, your eyes get so used to it and your brain makes that connection that even if it's not what you think it is, your brain says it is. And it helps if you read it because now you have your mouth has to be in, in line with everything, too. And a lot of times you say, oh, that doesn't that's complicated. That needs to be simpler or. Uh, that doesn't make enough sense it might, to the reader. The reader won't know who's speaking there or whatever. So that helps, things like that. But uh, no, never videotaped it. Uh, my wife, she came in while one day while I was editing, and uh, I didn't know she was standing. She was, like, right there behind peripheral vision, and I was just staring at the screen, and I finally came to, and I look over, and she said, I should have videotaped you. I've been standing here 10 minutes, and you've just been zoned out. <laughs> and I'm I'm just listening. And she right. goes, she goes, are you even editing? I was like, I don't even know at this point. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes while I'm editing, I'll just, I'll just be sitting there just contemplating, and I'll be like, damn, I missed that. And I'll go down that rabbit hole of, man, I got to remember to ask that question and then I'll get through, keep going and I'll forget I needed to write that question down just yeah. in case. And so I get droned out. And so, uh, that's why I asked because I, I picture authors while they're sitting in front of their computer, just like, you know, typing away just zoned yeah I, I i it's sometimes like that sometimes it's you know you really work hard to get 300 words out in a you know, kind of in an hour and a half um and boy that's like exhausting you take a break other times it's 1400 words in an hour and a half or two hours and it's exhilarating you know you look back at at what you've done and it's like wow that's four pages you know, and uh, like I said, it was probably with with checkout time. It was probably easier than than most. Yeah, because you've probably been, you know, do you sit and jot about it things? Say you you have an idea for a story, and you're just going along. Do you have like a special section for that just that story that you jot things down on? Um, usually not. A lot of people, they, they, they usually divide writers up into do two major camps. And, of course, there's a lot of variation and gradation of this. Um, but they call them plotters and pantsers. Plotters heavily plot the novel. They'll spend, like, the first month doing nothing but, but outlining. And then they'll fill in the outline. And pantsers go by the seat of their pants. They start writing and let the plot reveal itself. And that works probably better for a thriller because you want surprises in thrillers. You want twists and turns. And when you surprise yourself writing, then the reader will be surprised. And the plotting probably works better for something like a mystery where you have to have certain clues and you have to know where everything is. But it's six of one half dozen of another. Neither is wrong. Uh, some famous authors plot heavily. Some authors like Stephen King, total pantser. Uh, sometimes I run into plot problems where I just don't know how to proceed. And the thing that usually opens it up for me, if I sit there and think about it, occasionally I'll mind map. You know, it's not really an outline. I'll sit down and say, okay, what if I write on a pad? What if this guy does this? Then what could happen? And your line lines out, you know. That can help. 
but oftentimes it's just forgetting about it and doing exercise. Walking my dog, working on the treadmill, and an idea will pop in my head. Yeah, I like to work out before these podcasts because I feel like it clears my head enough to be able to think faster. Yeah. So how many stories do you have that are just sitting there waiting for the next sentence to be uh, brought to um, light? Well, if just ideas, I probably got about 20 plot ideas uh, sitting in my little database. Um, I've started a couple of different novels and kind of put them on the back burner. Uh, because, you know, really when you're working on something, especially when you finish the draft, and it's got to sit for a while. You know, you can't go right back to it and revise it because your eyes aren't fresh enough. So while it's sitting, you know, say for a month, you're going to be doing other things. It may be revising some other uh, novel, writing or revising a short story. Uh, so I have, I have a several novels that are got started and never went anywhere because I moved on to something else and that took over. Hmm. But uh, Speaking of that, I just had a funny idea about a thriller. Okay. While you were saying that, I was like, Ooh, and I'll share this with you. <laughs> Somebody needs to write a spinoff of when, uh, who was that that uh, shot that guy while they're hunting was that dick cheney is that right oh he shot his friend accidentally and uh, yeah bird hunting yeah yeah somebody needs to write like a whole thriller novel spinoff of dick cheney but Cheney, you know change his name whatever and just continue that storyline to where it's like oh shit about got found out and then like his secret life of being a murderer oh i see i, I see what you mean actually my first novel which I wrote about 2009, 2010, which is still sitting on my computer. I don't know if I'm ever going to do anything with it. It may remain a trunk novel, as Stephen King calls it. You know, it may just sit there. Um, had to do with a hitman who uh, does pro bono work without the knowledge of the people who are getting benefits. Huh. He, he put, thinks it upon himself to solve problems that he sees people having. And of course, one of the things he does snowballs out of his control. And the title was uh, No Good Deed. No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. And uh, so yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun writing because it was my very first one. <coughs> and uh, I'm sure if I look back at it today, I would hate a lot of it. I've grown as a writer since then, but uh, uh, but yeah, it was it, it was about a uh, secret life of a hitman. Oh, I feel that same way about the podcast, man. I'll go back and listen to some of my like first episodes, and uh, I probably still am just as bad. But you know, back <laughs> then I was uh, you know I was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I've grown to be better. <laughs> Well, there's lots of actors. I did some uh, community theater acting and a couple of regional things that I actually got paid for um, in Ohio and in New Jersey. And I used to hate to watch my stuff. Every once in a while, somebody would videotape a production, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the shows. And I hated watching it because I always thought I was lousy. Everybody else told me I was great. And I know a lot of actors that are like that, you know, on TV and stuff. You hear them talking. They say they'll never watch their stuff. They hate it when they see it. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Try to not watch all your stuff and uh, don't read the comments. Right, right. That's a big one. Actually, a, uh, I heard Charlton Heston once uh, talking about doing something with uh, Laurence Olivier. They were in the movie Cartoon together. And uh, Lawrence Olivier talked about some play he did where he just got lambasted by the critics. And Charlton Heston said, well, yeah, I guess you have to, you have to have a learn to have a pretty thick skin and, and kind of not, not 
believe the critics that give you a bad review. And Olivier said, that's not the only thing. You have to not believe the ones that give you a good review. Never, yeah, never yeah that them. too, because yeah, people, yeah. people will lie to you, especially yeah. to your face. You well, know. I think the point was, you do the best you can do or that you could grow as an actor or as a writer. And uh, some people will like it, some won't, but that's not your problem. Uh, that's what I tell people when they ask about writing. Should I pursue what the what I think the audience wants or should I write what's inside me? And ultimately, you've got to write what's inside you and hope there's an audience for it because it's a very personal thing writing. And if you're not writing something that's coming through you, it's like an actor who's painting characters on rather than bringing them through their, their own body and their own mind. So you've got to write what's, what you want to write. And hopefully people will like it. If they don't, you move on to the next thing, but it's, uh, it's, it's way too much work to try to do something you don't like because you think other people might want it, you know? Oh, yeah. And speaking of what's next, uh, what do you got coming up? Are you working on anything specific or are you uh, taking a break? Uh, I'm actually working on a sequel to Project Suicide. I'm about two-thirds of the way through that. Uh, it's, a lot, it's, it's a lot harder work than the original. Uh, <laughs> um and uh, it's going to need revision and stuff like that, but I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. So, uh, and I had uh, was a horror book that I did like two or three drafts on and uh, horror thriller. And uh, I got a couple other books, which I've been pitching. Uh, one's more of actually a, uh, more of a lifetime movie kind of romance. So it's fucking non-thriller. And uh, I've been trying to pitch that to some publishing houses. And uh, so a lot of that going on. I just had uh, a short story, which I had written and got published in an anthology. Somebody else wants it for a uh, uh, e-zine, a, a, uh, a uh, internet magazine. And so we're working on that. So little little things like that. Always pitching short stories or novels or something. So how's the marketing going? What's the marketing look like? Well, right now, uh, and I always tell people this, I have no idea how sales are going until like three months in when I get the first report from my publisher. You know, he the publisher is like an agent. They handle <coughs> the royalties. Um, but I am in the process of doing podcasts. I just last Saturday did a, uh, uh, a local book club. I'm trying to get some book clubs lined up in Dayton, Ohio, where I spend my summers. And uh, got a couple other po possibilities here. And I am going to be at two conferences in July. They're within a week of each other, so I'm going to be very busy. One is uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, which I don't know if you've been there. It's a really great town um, called the Imaginarium Conference. And it's mm -hmm. a nice kind of mix of uh, writers and gamers and independent filmmakers. They uh, kind of all mix together over several days. And I'm going to be teaching a workshop there oh, uh, nice. using, using research and fiction writing and working on some panels there, too. And then the other one is a thing called uh, the Midwest Writers Workshop, which is in Muncie, Indiana, at Ball State in July. And uh, that I'll be selling books and I'll be taking classes. So. Oh, awesome. You need to make your way over to, towards the Tulsa area. You know what I'm saying? Tulsa. Somebody wants to pay my way. <laughs> That's what people always say to me. You know, I loved your book, and I think it would make a great movie. Any plans for that? Like, I, I own a production company. 
I say, you know, if you know of anybody in the business who might like this, I mean, I can get it out there as much as I can. But if you know of anybody who has movie uh, experience or movie uh, inside information that they want to get this in front of uh, a producer or a screenwriter or something, I'm more than happy to talk. But, you know, it's kind of like... uh, so would you rather have a movie, like a full-length movie about your book, or one episode on CSI? Yes. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're, you're really, I, I think, you know, you try to get it out there any place you can. I've heard some authors, I even know a couple authors that have had people approach them about using one of their books as source material for a, uh, like a made for TV movie. And the guy turned it down because he said, uh, they're going to ruin my book and they're going to put it in another time period than when I wrote it in. And they're going to change this character, that character. It's like, they can't ruin your book. Your book exists. Here's your book. Somebody can buy it and read it tomorrow. You know, what they can do is get your book's title out in front of the public. So, and they're going to pay you money to do that. So, if I were you, I would consider that. You know, but that's me. So, how much? I'm just saying, if you know the ballpark, I'm I'm sure you've done your research, or maybe so. I mean, I could probably look it up right now. How much do authors usually get? If if somebody approaches you like that, I think it really depends on if it's a major Hollywood thing, like you know a, a big production company, or it's a independent filmmaker, or it's a Lifetime movie, or as you say, a, a TV episode. I'm sure it it varies. I heard, I heard an author, uh, uh, not a, I would say a, a well-known thriller author, I won't use the name, but he had a, uh, his first novel that came out uh, quite a few years ago now, was a really bestseller, really did well, and so he had a couple of Disney and somebody else in a bidding war over his, the rights to his book to make it a movie. And he said he made more from that than he made from all of his other royalties put together. Wow. I had a teacher. He's written a lot of books, and they're relatively popular. So, I mean, it can be that much. And he said they still have, they've never made the movie. (laughs) I had a teacher in high school. He, what was his name? I can't remember his name, and I probably shouldn't say it anyway. Yeah, it's probably good. Uh, but he had yeah, a book yeah. that he came up with that ended up being one of the biggest TV shows out there, and I'm sure everybody's heard of it, Stargate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he actually wrote the book, and the story is, because he wouldn't tell you, he had all these posters in his room. Well, if, he, if he wrote the novel Stargate, people could just find out who he is. Oh yeah, but he he couldn't tell you because of the of the document he signed for the money. Oh. Okay. Because he had a settlement because they stole the idea. Ah. They stole the book, and he had rolled. Let's just say he was rolling in a brand new BMW every year. Well, <laughs> and see, that's the thing is a lot of times. They will want an idea, and then they'll make a totally different movie out of it. Mm-hmm. So they still, it's still based on your book, whatever it is, even though it bears very little resemblance to your book. Uh, movies I can think of like that are like uh, The Omega Man with Charlton Heston from the 70s and uh, uh, Richard Matheson's I Am Legend was based on that book. But it's so far removed that it's, it's hard to even tell. 
but they don't want any problems. They don't want to be sued, you know, and so they they buy it up and then they they basically make their own their own story. And that's where I'm talking about some authors saying, well, if you do that, I don't want to sell you the, the rights to to the book. But for me, it's, it's like, well, the book and the movie are two different things. Yeah. If somebody wants to use my source material and make something else, more power to them. I'll take the money. I wonder how dramatic that is because, you know, most people don't watch the credits. They usually either turn them off and you, you know, some movies, they'll put them in the beginning. Right. And then some movies, they put them in the end, but nobody watches the end. Yeah, so where it said, based on the novel by Elmore Leonard or whatever. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's what you want. But more importantly than that is you can then take the fact that it's a motion picture or a lifetime movie whatever and you can redo your cover really? so now it says the, 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 the major motion picture starring so and so and that's your book that catches people's attention really good oh and then oh man people don't buy cds anymore right but back in the cd area era it was a good idea you know, put me right on the front of the CD because right. you you had you were at the store. You say, "Ooh," and that's back when really people loved to read, and right. so they'd see, "Oh, based on this novel," and then they'd right. head over. Yeah, and it's yeah. at that daggum place. It starts with the W, where you don't buy the meats. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that really helps your sales. Just like you know, and 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 people. My wife knew somebody who was, uh, she's a nonfiction editor, and one of her authors that she was working with, uh, through some connections, managed to get her book talked about on Oprah. Ooh. And her sales went through the roof for the next couple months because, you know, Oprah's got a big audience, and especially with books. People are probably going to laugh at me right now, but is Oprah still doing a show? I think she is. I, I am. I am. I'm not sure. I ever watched the whole one, but I, I, I haven't watched. Certainly, I haven't seen it in years. But I think she might still be doing it. Mom, my mom loved that. She, <laughs> you walk oh, in. Very popular. Oh yeah, you walk in, freaking. Right after school, Mom was in there watching Oprah, and then what was right after Oprah? It was somebody else. Doctor Phil. Doctor Phil came Phil around, or, and or Maury. Yeah, I used to watch Maury before he passed. Lord have mercy. The stuff our moms made us watch. <laughs> hey, you're lucky. You never had to watch Lawrence Welk. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a Polish family. Oh shit. Oh, well, that was pretty good, uh, pretty good 38 minutes. Yeah, and uh, I just want to say I hope everybody will go out and get checkout time. Uh, the easiest way to get to it, it's on Amazon, it's in Barnes & Noble, it uh, uh, can be ordered through any place that orders books because it's in Ingram, the big distributor. But the easiest way to get to it on Amazon is just type into your browser, checkouttimenovel.com. I own that uh, domain, and it'll take you right to Amazon on my book. And I'll make sure to throw all your – you have a couple different yeah. websites, don't you? And, you know, right. If and you haven't already listened to the first episode that we recorded, make sure right. you go back right. and listen to that. But also, I want to say to people that if you do read the book and you like it, or this is true for any book, by any author, the nicest thing you can do for the author, besides of buying the book, obviously, is to give an Amazon review, give it a rating, uh, give it a couple of lines. Literally takes five minutes. And Amazon, not only do people judge whether they want to buy the book based on the quality and the number of reviews, but Amazon places you 
in advertising based on the quality of your programs. So, you, you know, I heard an interesting thing about Amazon and how you become an Amazon bestseller. And it was broken to me. It was a guy who he is the son of the man who came up with the barcode. Okay. He uh, he said, for you to become an Amazon best-selling author, you just have to get a bunch of people to pre-order it that you know, and then I think in his I think in his specific genre. He he became a best-selling author with eight sales. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, no way. And he's like, yeah, that's how you beat the system. <laughs> well, there, there are there are some actually groups that you can belong to. They're, I think they're profit-making groups, but uh, everybody agrees who joins them to read the other people's books and put a review on. Them. Yeah. And so if they've got 10,000 people and your book gets on there, then potentially you could get 10,000 reviews. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's, it, it always sounds a little bit shady to me. You know? Oh, you're talking about those random emails and messages. Yeah, that you yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it. It's a uh, scam. Uh, I get them all the time. It's like, we'll give you 10,000 yeah, 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 organic yeah, yeah, yeah. downloads. I'm like, no, you're not. And like, then yeah, I will promote you. And I'm like, how much? $1,000 a month. Like, shoot. Well, well, the ones the ones that I like are the ones who say, you know, you pay us $1,000 or whatever. And we'll teach you how to promote your book. It's like, whoa, I don't need knowledge. I need time. And <laughs> I need resources to get into these things. You For, teaching me, uh, you know, is uh, I, I don't want to read your book. I want people to read mine. For $1,000, you should be <laughs> taking care of my promoting for me and not teaching me. Well, that's what they always say. Uh, you want you want to make a million dollars? Write a book about how to make a million dollars and charge a dollar a copy, sell a million copies, you know, something like that. You know, it's just a, it's a numbers game, but it's getting people to buy them, certainly. Oh, yeah, that's just a scam. It all, that's all it is. They get, they'll try to get you in and get all of your, your passwords to all your... Uh, yeah your social medias and your websites and stuff like that and then hack it all. The, the best advice I ever got was uh, uh, from a guy named, uh, I, I don't know him personally, but I, I've seen his videos and stuff. Uh, Tim Grawl. He is a, a, a book promoter and he's, he had a lot of bestsellers and stuff like that. And he, you know, he charges people tens of thousands of dollars to do a full book promotion on their, you know, book launch and stuff like that. But he also does these little videos. And he basically said, you know, it's 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 not a like a two-week launch and then you're done. No. It's a continual process. You know, I'm still promoting. You know, anybody who hasn't read Project Suicide, you know, projectsuicidenovel.com, all one word. Um, you know, you, you're, you're promoting continually and try to do a little something every week. You know, I'll do a podcast, do an email. Uh, I have my email list, you know, <coughs> send out an email, kind of blog post, do, speak at a book club, do something every week and develop a, you know, get to know your audience and develop a relationship with your audience. People, uh, you know, interested in your audience, your audience would be interested in you and your book. I have a friend that told me that I need to look into starting my Patreon to get a little more behind the scenes with me. And to be honest with you, man, I haven't dropped an episode in close to two months. And so when people hear this, it's going to be a little, a little while. I've been taking a break, you know, it's just been a mental, mental break. The oh, editing, yeah. editing and everything, it got, it got to me. Yeah, because, we, all, we all need to do that. Oh yeah. Every every week, you know, being a one-man show, it's it's tough. 
you know, making sure I'm keeping up with content, everything like that. And so I took, I'm taking a step back, you know, collecting, collecting enough guests and interviews right now to where it'll last me a good minute. So that way I can sit down and take my time with each episode and uh, make sure it's coming out good because I went back and listened to a few of my episodes and they don't sound like it is it's not like the conversation it's just the sound right so I need to take a little more time in making sure the quality is there before and that's 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 important I also tell people that when they talk about you know I really wanted to get my novel out there it's my first novel I really wanted to get it out there so I, I kind of rushed it, and I didn't hire an editor. I edited myself a couple times, and I got it out there on Amazon. So I've got it out there. It's like, okay, it's out there, but is it good? You know, for it, not only is the writing good, but is the editing good? Are there a lot of mistakes? Are there continuity errors? And because not only is, is it people are going to get turned off from your first book, they're not going to want to read anything else you write. You know, you only have one chance to make a good first impression. And readerships is like that. I mean, you, from your own experience, probably, you pick up a book that sucks. You're probably not going to read anything else by that author, no matter how good it might be unless maybe some friends really encourage you to. So you're shooting yourself in the foot if you rush into it without, uh, and it's poor quality. Yeah, I had uh, a long, oh, it's been a minute now. Uh, Miss Pepper Ann, she's one of my real good friends. Uh, she had been sitting on her book, she said, 20 years. Wow. And it's a true crime book. Okay. And her, uh, I don't know how much she's talked about it, but she's told me enough. And so I'm just going to tell everybody. But her uncle was involved with some cattle rustling ring. And it was the biggest one in Texas, one of the biggest ones in Texas. Wow, that would be interesting. Yeah, and so she wrote a whole book, got all the info, did all the research, and held on to that book. She didn't, she didn't uh, try to get it published, didn't go to nah, agents. No, she, she kept sending it in to editors. She didn't even think about doing self-publication. Well, that kind of, that kind of book, though, it's a, uh, you, can, you can try getting an agent for Yeah, she tried all that, but yeah. ultimately she came out with it, and it's a really damn good book. It is. What, what's, a, the, what's the name of the book? Oh, I'd have to go back and look at it. Uh I'd have to go get, go dig through my 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 book, but uh, because my wife loves true crime stuff. Um, if you, I'll send you, I'll send you the link to it. Okay. Because you know it's a real good book. It has a lot of uh, a lot of twists and turns. Her marketing strategy is funny because she gives a lot of her book away as in her posts. <laughs> well, that's. Giving away copies of your book is not a bad idea, especially. Oh, no, no, no. She'll like write out a whole like couple pages of her book and right. put it out on a Facebook post. And I'm like, Miss Pepper, you got to quit giving your book away for free. If you're going to do that, at least put it down like a sentence. Right. Well, that's also a danger people will send out like. Uh, Microsoft Word copies their book or something, or even PDFs to people. And that's a little dangerous because they can take that PDF and give it to anybody. Yep. You know, whereas if it's an electronic Kindle copy, you know, you uh, sometimes I will give somebody a Kindle copy, you know, to, to read the book and get a, give a review or whatever. Uh, that's kind of, you can't really pass that around. No. No, Miss Pepper, she says she trusted me enough. I think we talked for like a month and a half and then she she was just like, I'm gonna just gonna send you my book, you read it. And I'm like, Okay. 
But ultimately, she changed a couple of things around, and I just, I was just there for her to help her. Right. Because, you know, uh, when I met her, she was kind of stuck, and I was like, well, if you're just going to, if you're worried about it, just do it. I mean, you, you have everything done, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> she, so. Uh, I would encourage anybody, though, who's going to self-publish to hire a good fiction editor. Uh, and not one who says, I'll edit your book for $250. You know, if you've got a 300-page book, $250, you're not going to get a good edit. Um, you know, plan on spending two, $3,000 if you've got a good fiction editor to edit. I'll tell you book. what. It pays, it pays in the long run. You send me a thousand dollars, I will critique that book all day. I will sit there. You will you will get a book yeah, back why, that has that's red why ink. That, you know, you, you've got to have somebody you, you trust. Like I really trust the uh, Doug Showalter, who's the editor for Pathfinder, that uh, does my book. Uh, editing is so important because I think we mentioned earlier you you can't see the book the way the reader's going to see it. You're mm -hmm. too close to it. You can take breaks from it and see it better. Uh, your eyes are fresher, but you're never going to see it the way the reader actually sees it, who's not in your head. So do you ever get, like, the harshest criticism ever where they're just like, I was bored within the ten, first 10 minutes? Change yeah, it. yeah. I, and I don't mind that if it's somebody who I know actually read the book. Um but you sometimes get that from people who, and, and I haven't had that on checkout time at all, but you sometimes get that from people you know didn't read the book. They just don't want to be bothered. So they're going, or they, they didn't like the, 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 uh, the theme of the book or whatever. So they just give you hard criticism to, to leave them alone. Yeah, I, I, I started reading, I couldn't get into it, I know, you know, something like that. And first of all, that kind of criticism doesn't help you. And second of all, I kind of know you didn't read the book. You know, it's, it's, you got to uh, at least give an explanation of why it's boring. Right, right. I think I found my new job. <laughs> well, no, but that's the importance of what they call beta readers. When you're early in the process, you've got a first or second draft, and you want to say, uh, does this do it for you? Is... Are there major plot holes here or whatever? Uh, somebody you know, a writer or a, a person who reads a lot, you know, so you trust them because they read a lot. And uh, have them read the book, the manuscript, and uh, give you feedback. I like this. I didn't like that. Whatever. You know, and especially if you get the same feedback from a couple people, then you know you should change something. I think I could do that. Three dollars a page. <laughs> well, oftentimes beta readers are not uh, not do it for pay. Oh no no no! I want to be the <laughs> dude that sends you back the book that has the red ink circling stuff. Say no, doesn't make sense. You get books back from me, it's gonna be nothing but red ink everywhere. Uh. <laughs> no, I'll stick to my day job. I can barely I could barely do the descriptions of my episodes. I right. couldn't edit a book. Well that's actually something that I enjoy is the is the look at the back here, the back cover blur. When you kind of you give a high level not so much summary, a high level teaser on the book. Because that's basically a query letter to an agent or a publisher. And I enjoy those. I've often thought of doing uh, a book of nothing but back cover blurbs. <laughs> Somebody would buy that. Somebody would buy that. I mean, people buy those uh, where you turn one page and it's a quote. It's a quote book. One of those quote yeah, books. Yeah. I mean, summarizing books. You could read a summary and have make your own story. Boom. Right. There yeah. you go. Sell it that way too. Right. You're like, just read one page in the morning, let your mind take it from there. 
I've, I've, I've thought about that, though, charging people to, uh, you know, I'll do, I'll do a back cover blurb or a query letter for you. Or you could write a novel, right? Say how to make a million dollars and sell a dollar, sell right, for a dollar. Right, right. Make well, a million dollars. Everybody's worried about or talking about is AI, because you can write a book with AI. Without yeah. Ever, ever it, yeah. I have been. I have yet to. I've heard of podcasters using it, especially you know to help them out wording stuff and so I haven't dabbled in it myself yet and I mean I I can see potential for people to use it somehow I don't know the specifics of it but if you tried to write a whole book with AI no. I, I think it would come through as pretty unauthentic I can see it you know if you're trying to learn the basics of how to write something as long as you're taking something from what you're asking from that ai then i think it's a good thing but if you're just using the ai to be lazy i think you know it, it's going to depend on the person if you're just doing it to be lazy then it's going to be bad because people are going to know the difference between an AI and a person for a long time until AI gets like perfect because, you know, it's in the hey, infancy. They, they say right now, and, I, and I've seen some videos which you know they're AI, mm -hmm. but they really look realistic. Oh, yeah. And they also say that you could do a movie if you, if you had an actor who was dead, but they had a lot of... Uh, movies and TV interviews and things like that. You could include them in a movie and it would look real, like natural, like they're talking as part of the plot and all that stuff. And Is how far Bruce Willis? Bruce Willis did that. Did he? Is he? I think it's Bruce Willis. It could be. He's, he's He has uh, dementia of some kind. Yeah. He signed over his name and name and voice, or his, not his name, but his image and voice, right? So they could use AI to uh, put him in the movie still. Yeah. Boy, that's crazy. That dude was such, oh man, die hard. <laughs> what a thriller. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's it's getting weird out there. But it is. You know, I, I always think of, like, if you tried to write something with AI, it's kind of the way I feel about uh, when authors either pass away and someone else takes on their series, or the author just gets tired of writing it, so they hire a ghostwriter to do the series. Mm -hmm. I never read those books, even if I like, you know, I love Robert Parker's Jesse Stone books. Uh, but then someone else started writing them he passed and it's not the same voice it's an imitation and you yeah. tell when you're reading it someone's trying to paint on his style and it's cumbersome and it doesn't it, it, it's a, my, the only term I can come up with is unauthentic and I have a feeling AI would be the same kind of thing at least as a, until you say it gets really more sophisticated Hey, I, from what I hear, it can write out some good stuff. I guess there's a university. There's a at one a particular university. I don't know which one. There's a teacher making his students use Chat GPT for his class. Yeah, and like I say, if you're actually using it for to to learn what AI is doing and saying, and and as long as it's in a good thing, you know all's well but you know there's always those people that are going to be lazy oh yeah yeah that, and there's no real like for writing there's no real shortcut hmm. you know you've got to write a lot you got to read a lot there's, there's no feeling there's no feeling in what the yeah. ai is going to put out you know so the ai is not going to catch itself slipping on a certain sentence and it may turn into something totally different so I get what you're saying. 
you never know. The future, they have machine girlfriends now. <laughs> I feel I've heard of that, yeah. Mm. It's insane. The world's going insane. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, on that note, I think it's a good point to wrap it up. Uh, I appreciate you coming on again and My talking with me. Anytime. So, uh, the next book or before, you know, anytime, you know, if you get bored, just give me a holler. Appreciate it. All right, man. I appreciate you. Bye, everybody. Take care. That's all the time we have for today. Head over and check out our website, thebceshow.com, where you can subscribe to the email list and contact us. But remember to leave us a rate and review. It helps the podcast with that pesky algorithm. Thanks for listening, y'all.